The answer is yes. It definitely, we have turned the corner. It feels like spring, whatever that means. I just know that if you leave the house in shorts, you're probably going to survive the day. Praise the Lord for that. And uh, it also means that uh, people are enjoying um, kind of some of the new freedoms we have, that school is getting close, and so people are traveling, and some of you guys might have travel plans coming up, and just drive careful out there and enjoy yourself. Um, I want to uh, give you guys, just for a few minutes, before we get into the study, uh, talk to you about a couple of things that's going on and a couple of things that have just happened. So I know last week we, uh, I let you know and we prayed for the group of uh, Korean missionaries that were coming to the United States simply to pray for revival in our country. And uh, how cool is that, that people would come and fight in prayer uh, on our behalf and for behalf of our city. Anyways, a group came to the Northwest. Uh, specifically, there was a group of, the, of uh, missionaries in Whatcom County, and um, we got a phone call, and they were looking for a place where they could have a, uh, a night, a kind of an all-nighter. They wanted to go hard in the prayer realm. And so um, they showed up here, and I know some of you guys were a part of that, and um, prayed for revival in our city. And uh, they believe the Lord spoke to them. And here I saw some pictures, and, and um, they, were, they had their hands. They felt, they felt led to lay their hands on the walls of our building. And they were, um, sorry, it's pretty sweet. And they felt the Lord speak to them, specifically something that God has kind of shared with me over the years, and it was in Nehemiah. And if any of you guys are familiar with the story of Nehemiah, Nehemiah was someone that God gave him a vision for what could be. And then he went to where he saw what could be, and all he saw was the chaos of what was. Rubble. God said, I want these, this, these people are broken down and without walls. And Nehemiah had the, the ability and the wherewithal to maybe bring some of that about. And then he went to Jerusalem, and all he saw was rubble with the walls and and it says that this is what they felt the Lord spoke to him that the the time that Nehemiah spent three days walking around the city didn't tell anybody why he was there or what the purpose is that God had placed in his heart but he just spent three days walking around looking at the destruction just him and the Lord and it was in that time of intimate walking with with the Lord that God gave him a vision for how they were going to bring about restoration and um, so that was something that was shared to me, that they felt the Lord was speaking to them as they were praying here. And it's pretty cool because um, that's our heart, too. And as I and us as a team have been thinking about what our summer season might look like for as a church family, because we've done different things in, in the years past. We've done church in the park on Wednesdays, and which was awesome. And it was really awesome when we didn't have a building. And uh, so we would meet in a park and eat some food, and, and then we did work projects last summer. But just, Lord, what would it be this year? And we really felt that this year would be a time of leaning in to um, the Holy Spirit. Prayer is a conversation, and oftentimes it's a monologue for us. We talk to God and, and sometimes miss that maybe he wants to speak back to us. And so we want to, um, I, I'm 
in my heart, after I heard this, I'm like, maybe we should call them Nehemiah Nights. So on the first, excuse me, on the second, let me read my notes so I don't mess it up. On the second and fourth Mondays, starting not tomorrow, but next week, second and fourth Mondays of the month, we're going to meet here um, at, I'll let you know the time next week. I think we said six o'clock and um, second and fourth Mondays, we're going to meet here and we're going to have a time of prayer and worship. And the heart behind these nights is not that we would come and sing some songs and then leave, but that we would come and maybe in this space of um, lifting up our hearts to God, lifting up songs to God, and giving the Spirit a space and time to speak into our church and into our lives, we're believing that, that God has words for us that he wants to share and that he wants to share those words maybe through you. Uh, as the body gathers together. So this is my invitation to you as your pastor and as your friend that um, the Lord invites his people. He says, I hear when my people gather and call to me and I have things that I want to do is what he would say. And we're believing that. And so for the months of June, July, and August, the first, the se- the. The second and fourth Mondays, we're going to gather here for about an hour and a half, like a regular church service, and we are going to pray together, pray for each other, and um, we're believing that God is going to give us his heart and his vision for our, what is next in these coming seasons for our church. So I'm pumped. Is anybody here pumped about that? Yeah. So I'll see you there. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. So prayer nights coming up. Nehemiah nights, it sounds cool. It's not too grease, you know. Nehemiah nights, okay. And then um, second thing, you know, so much has, there's been so much shuffling, which is great. I am so, I feel so honored. I don't know that I could ever say this enough. For every seat that has a butt in it, in this room, I feel and a, an incredible burden and awesome responsibility, um, but also it is such an honor to get to uh, be part of your walk with the Lord. And I know that there, I've met so many new people, and God is doing a, an awesome thing at our church. And there is growth happening, and there are new faces and new friendships, and I get to meet. Um, it, it's just awesome. But some, something that happens as I was thinking about our church and where we're at is like, you know, I wonder how many people actually know um, where God has brought us from. I wonder how long people have been here. And as I'm trying to think about what a study next, you guys are going to see these in the next coming few weeks. It's not asking for any information um, about you, but some information from you. So if you grab this on your seat, just look at it real quick. So it's not a connect card like you usually see, um, which is like a church's discreet way of saying, like us and be friends with us and come hang out with us. This is, um, we want to know a little info about you um, so so I can better understand maybe what some good teaching subjects would be coming up, just stuff like that. So on this one, this is, welcome to the bridge, we're glad you're here, that's true, and then I've been attending for, coming for, 
says, this is my first time, less than three months, three to six months, six to 12 months, one to two years, and then over two years. Because let's be honest, if you've been at one single church over two years, you're like a veteran of that place. You know the ins and the outs. Um, and, um, and then maybe how uh, you found the church. Were you invited by a friend? Search online? Was it a social media post, driving, walking by? Other? And then if you would go ahead and fill that out right now as we're talking. As you're doing that, could I get a couple of our, uh, couple of the fellas that I think was, Rory's gone, there you go, Nathan. Doesn't have to just be fellas. It could be a, one, of the, one of the ladies in the house. And uh, they're going to pass um, just a container. We'll start front to back. If you would put those in. And uh, that way we can look because I'm like, how well do people know? When's the last time I taught who we are as a church, where we're going, what we feel God is doing? So if you put those in, in the coming weeks, we're going to have some cool ones. Um, like if I were to teach a, another service during the week or another, if there was another teaching during the week, if it, what, would, uh, what would interest you? And so we'll have some options. So we'll probably do this one for a couple of weeks as people are traveling. Um, we want to make sure everyone has a chance to answer that. And then we'll do uh, the, a couple of other ones that I have. Sound good? Okay. Perfect. Fill those out. Drop them in. And then the other ones we'll pick up after service on the empty seats. Okay, great. (sighs) Surveys on chairs, prayer, second, fourth night. Yep. Awesome. Okay, while um, Spencer and Nate are picking those up, could I pray for the teaching this morning? Lord, thank you for today. And I was really, like, my heart was moved um, in that last song. And I think about just the declaration that the world makes every day. You say that uh, morning by morning when the sun comes up, it's making, it's like a, a bridegroom coming forth, making a declaration that light is here. And um, there's so many so much of your creation and your creative power and your involvement in our world speaks of you every single day, Lord, and it, uh, it's overwhelming. Please teach us to see it more and to hear it more, to hear your voice, to see your handiwork. And now, Lord, as we open up uh, your word that's alive, may we see your face. May we experience more of your heart. May we hear your voice. May we know your will. Would you speak to us, Lord? In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, back in the book of Mark, chapter 10. We're going to continue on. And we're going to read verse 35 through 45. Matthew 10, 35 through 45. If you have a Bible, if you're able to get on God's word, just put it after. All right. Um, Great. Here we go. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him, Jesus, and said to him, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. (laughs) 
It's a bold question. And Jesus said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. And Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left hand is not mine to grant, but it is for those whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, the ten other disciples, they became indignant at James and John, which is a nice Bible way of saying they were ticked off. And Jesus called them to him, all of them, and he said to them, you know, that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles or the Romans, the, the non-Jewish people of their day, he's like, you know, the rulers of, of these guys, um, they, uh, the Gentiles, they lord it over the people. And their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But who... But Whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. Verse 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and give his life as a ransom for many. This morning's message, we're going to call it the not-so-secret sauce. The not-so-secret sauce. I was thinking about being a kid and watching the Karate Kid. Anyone remember the original Karate Kid? Yeah, all my old people. I know, sorry, but it's true. I was talking about Footloose last night. Uh, we were sitting on our patio, eating our porch, eating dinner, and our neighbor girl across the street, she's 19, and I was like, have you seen the new Footloose? And she's all, new, like the new one that came out like 10 years ago? Or I'm like, yeah, it's newer, okay? Does it have Kevin Bacon? I don't think so. So the old Karate Kid. Karate Kid 2, where he goes to Okinawa. And he's sitting and he's just like learning the, the zone where he is. And they go to that place and they're breaking ice, the karate chop in the ice and gambling. That's not biblical. But they're gambling and breaking ice. And then they call him out and he does like the breathing thing for the first time. And he's, God, does like all nine blocks. What is it in me that wanted to go out and break some ice? You watch Rocky. You kind of want to punch or take some punches. You watch your favorite pro athlete and you want to go out and ball. There's something about watching people that are great that makes you want to be great. 
And what happens is, is we think that being great means becoming like that, doing what that person can do. See, the request of James and John, actually, uh, the Gospel of Matthew tells us, James and John's mama walks up to Jesus on behalf of her boys, because what does every parent want really for their kids? Them to be okay, them to be great. Who's the great? There's no greater person who has ever lived than Jesus. So this request is a sense of they had been spending time with the greatest person who ever was, is, or will be God in human flesh. And he had just told them not too long ago that, remember when, if you back up a few verses before all of this, and in verse 29 of chapter 10, when Peter said to them, um, see, we've left everything and followed you. We were talking uh, last week about having a right relationship with our stuff. And Peter's like, we've left everything. In Matthew's gospel, it actually tells us in Jesus's response to that, um, Jesus replied, I assured you that when the world is made new, the kingdom of God in physical form, and the son of man sits upon his glorious throne, you who have been my followers will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So he said, in a sense, you, there's a place for you in my kingdom. And this is a continuation of that. And so, like, wow, there's a place. And, and, and so then their mom comes up and is like, hey, can my, my boys are trouble. Will you put them, that's like when the kid who talks a lot, <clears throat> my family, they put them at the front of the class. Will you keep, the teacher keeps them close. Maybe in a sense, James and John's mom is like, hey, will you keep my boys close to you? That, that's what was happening here. And because our hearts and our minds as human beings, when we see greatness, we naturally gravitate towards position and possession. I can get more. You talk to the youth, why do you want to be a pro athlete? Because it come, with it come riches and glory. Why are there so many YouTubers on? Because to be known as this great desire of ours to be known by others, to be successful in what we do, our hearts naturally gravitate towards this. I want to be where that person is. So when we see great people, we naturally put them on pedestals and we want to be where they're at. That's what they're meaning when they say, let us rule with you. And Jesus's response to them, even if it was sincere, Lord, you said this, let us be right with you and all of this. Here's his response to them. You don't know what you are asking. Then he follows up a question. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptized that I am baptized with. Have you ever had a sentence that said baptized three times? Why have you not been baptized? This cup and baptism, I want to explain this before we get into the, the practical part that I'm really excited about. Because this is cool, this biblical language, and it's an opportunity to learn some of the stuff that the scripture is teaching. But this, this what Jesus is saying here, it's highly metaphorical. This is, are you able to, you're like, drink a cup and be baptized with. So, cup. 
the word cup in the Bible, it's a, it can mean different things depending on how it's used. Let me give you an example. Psalm 23, verse 6, I think, says, um, You have anointed my head with oil. Uh, my cup runneth over. My cup is full. A cup is an expression of joy and salvation. It's beautiful. Shall you share in my cup? Cup is also a term of judgment, pain, and severe suffering. Jesus, when he is in the Garden of Gethsemane, right before he's crucified, he's praying and he says, Father, if it is your will, let this cup pass before me. This cup of God's judgment that he must drink. It's a picture of suffering. This is what he's talking about here. Also, uh, the cup is something that can be shared amongst people. Your cup is my cup. It's saying our fates are shared. What happens to you, let it happen to me. So to ask for a place of honor in his glory next to him was also to request to share in his suffering since to share God's glory That's why he says you don't know what you're asking because to share the glory that is only for Jesus would mean to share in the suffering that was only for Jesus. And to share in his baptism. Baptism here is not what John the Baptist was doing, but it's the same picture. A complete submergence into God's will. An all-encompassing reality. So when he says, are you able to drink this cup and be baptized like this? And their response is, yes. They're not being prideful or cocky. I think that they're saying to the best that they can, we've given everything to follow you. And so that's why Jesus responds, indeed, you you will drink my cup and you will be baptized. But to have this position you're talking about is for the Father to decide. Because they would share in his cup. These two men would actually both die for their faith. Jesus died for who he was. James was the first martyr. Martyr is someone who was killed for their faith. John, it's hard to tell if he was martyred. He probably died in exile. He was taken away from his family, taken away from his friends. History tells us he was tried to killed with boiling Uh, oil but somehow it didn't work so maybe he lived with just an intense amount of pain and you know chronic pain and these things and then he was exiled onto an island where prisoners it wasn't Australia at the time that came much later that was was a joke Um, it was the island of Patmos which is an island where prisoners were exiled and that's where God visited him in this place of exile and that's where the book of Revelation was penned John wrote it, exiled on this island. But they both drank cup of persecution and, um, and, and death. But only Jesus' death did he endure, not the wrath of man, but the wrath of God against all sin and paid the price of redemption. So while they did drink a cup of suffering and they were baptized into death, Jesus's was different in the fact that it wasn't because of what he believed, but it was on behalf of all mankind. 
I say all that because in an essence, in a, in a sense, that's what it means to be a Christian. It's what it means to follow Jesus with your life. We place our lives in Jesus's care where Jesus says, go, we go. We invite his rule as a king and as a friend. We follow his teachings and his lifestyle. We leave things to follow him because we believe in his teachings. We believe in his lifestyle. And then we have the word of God. So as we pick up the Bible, we study God's word. We see things. We pick up on the principles of God's kingdom. The word of God reveals the will of God to us. And we see things like we did last week, like, by way of recap, we talked about giving, what it is to have a proper relationship with your material things. We see that it seems like the rich people really have it going on and they gain so much, but Jesus says actually to gain a lot is the heart to knows how to give a lot. The, the principle we learned last week is that money can buy happiness, but it can't buy wholeness. You can have a lot of stuff and still be really broken and hurting. And our relationship with our things keeps us, can keep us from more mean, meaningful things. And we learn that true riches are knowing how rich you are. And the practice we saw was to let, to be the boss over your money or else it will be the boss over you. And as we talked about last week, money is a great servant, but a terrible master. So there are practices. These principles we learn in scripture, and here's practice. Jesus wants the best for you. He sees things. He sees things that we don't see. Because he can see inside of our hearts. He sees past circumstances of bills. He sees the draw for position, the draw for power, the things that lead us toward elevating ourselves to putting other, other people down. And he says, when it comes to your material, when it comes to your things that God has entrusted you, if you want to be whole, if you want to follow his teachings, follow his principles, don't let those things master you, then you give. Specifically in scripture, he says, give regularly, give sacrificially, give joyfully. Why? Because that's what he did. Jesus is the most regular, sacrificial, and joyful giver. And the abundant life that God wants us to have isn't in getting more things, but it's being more like Jesus. What we read this morning is another one, leadership. Principle that we learn about leadership. Here's the principle. Kingdom leadership is different. The kingdom of God, leadership is different than the kingdom of earth. There is greatness, but it looks different than what you've been taught. Look at the, these verses again, verse 42. Jesus called them to himself and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them. You could look around and you could see the way the Roman government was set up. They were a dominant, oppressive rule because if you kept the people in line, 
then your agenda, your government, your rules and laws, they were passed through and people would fall under those. And um, what is the great line in uh, The Hunger Games where the Stowe says that the only thing more dangerous than fear is hope? If you keep people afraid, they'll do what you want. But the, most da- the only thing more dangerous than fear is hope. Enter the Mockingjay. Dun, dun, dun. But that's what it is. You know that this is how the world says, you want, this is how you want to be great? Get lots of followers. Get lots of people to buy your stuff, to think that you're awesome, to wear your jersey, to want to be like you. That's how get, get the most votes. This is how the kingdom of earth operates. The kingdom of heaven is different. Kingdom leadership is different. This tells us this, and I'll say this with as much authority that the Lord has bestowed upon me to give to you. Here it is. You are a great leader. You, according to the kingdom of God. But what kind of great leader are you? Are you one that does what you've been taught and what looks right here on earth? You want to dominate over others? Do you think greatness means being at the top? Then you will try to be like that. You will drink the cup and do all the things to get that way. But if you want to be like Jesus, then you're going to realize that being a great leader means knowing how to serve others. A few weeks ago, and I'm not going to re-preach the message, we talked about leadership. And this is what we talked about. Do you notice how there's the, Jesus is repeating himself as he gets closer to the cross? Specifically now to his disciples, because it always says they miss the point. So he repeats it, and then as you continue on in the New Testament, these guys that here in, in this that miss the point, they start to get it, and then you know what they do? They write the exact same thing to us. Peter writes all of this in, in his own language later on in 1 Peter. And, and he talks about um, reminding people. He's like, I'm not getting tired of reminding you guys of the same stuff because it is good. Do you notice? the So threefold leadership. I want to remind you guys of this. And if you missed a couple weeks ago, this is good stuff. There's three... The threefold leadership. There's leading from the front. That's what the, this here, you've seen it. You've heard it said that, that, that Rome leads this way. This is kind of a leading from the front, a top-down leadership, or one person standing on a stage with a microphone talking. And so what happens is, is we think that leadership is one-fold, top-down. That's why, did you catch that little verse that says, and when the ten heard it, they were really they were greatly displeased with James and John. You know why they were mad? Because they didn't think of it first. They're like, oh, dang it, I wanted to be at his right hand, left hand. I deserve it more than him. They were mad because to them, that's what great leadership is. 
I want to be right next to him. When people think of Jesus, I want them to think of me. When his kingdom is here and he's on his throne, boom, I want to be right there. Leading from the front. There's a place for that. But leading from the middle of the pack. I talked to someone after church a couple weeks ago and they were like, God spoke to me right there. That's what I need. Because I have these new positions of leadership in my life. And he knew that God was just like, I want you to, this is where you wrap your arms around people and you're like, yo, we're in this together. When you're in the middle, you're not in the front going, come on, or you should do this. You're in the middle going, let's go, we got this. And then there's what Jesus is talking about here, leading from the back, serving. Because unless you know how to obey orders, you do not have the right to give orders. One commentator says, before a person exercises authority, he or she must know what it means to be under authority. The words I put behind this are, God won't put you over the things that he wants to put you over until you put yourself under the things that God has placed you under. There are things that God has for you to be over and stewards over, whether it be resources um, wealth, uh, something bigger that God has placed in your heart that he wants to put you over until we learn how to be under those that God has placed over us. This is God's pattern all throughout scripture. Look at Joseph. He had a coat of many colors. He was destined for upper-class management. Until there was a family coup, and they threw him in a pit and sold him into slavery. He did time for crimes he didn't commit. He was a slave in a place that he didn't belong, yet God blessed him in that place because he learned how to be under God's rule, under Pharaoh, and then God eventually placed him over the entire kingdom of Egypt. And because of his obedience, the whole Jewish nation was spared from extinction. Look at Moses. Same thing. He was over Egypt, thought this is what greatness is, then he exercised his authority and he was banished, ran for his life and learned that it was in the quiet place of learning how to be a shepherd, a family man. God spoke to him and revealed actually his plan for him. It's over and over, Joshua, David, Timothy in the New Testament, but most of all, Jesus. That's why in Philippians 2, it says, um, fulfill my joy by, it says, have the mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, that though being uh, God in human flesh did not count being equal to God as something to be grasped, but place himself under and died on even to the point of death on the cross. He humbled himself so low. He's so high. Humbled himself so low. And it says, and God gave him a name above every other name. That every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He humbled himself more than anyone ever can. No matter how good of a servant leader you are, Jesus is better. The principle, kingdom leadership is different. The practice, we want to lead like Jesus. This is what he's saying. How did Jesus lead? Like a house servant? 
You want to be great? Serve those around you. See the needs that are around you and use what is in your ability and possession to meet those needs. That's that's what Jesus does. Put others before you if you can even do it. It tones it down a little later in scripture and says, because, you know, love others like you love yourself. That makes more sense. Because there's, how do you love someone else more than yourself? Let's be honest. Um, yeah. Except for your family. There are people you love more than you. Anyways. The principles and the practices we learn, they're ways that we pattern our lives after the way of Jesus. They're ways that we learn to empty ourselves of ourselves. And as we do that, we empty these things, there becomes space, space in our lives for Jesus to fill with something. So why is the message called the not-so-secret sauce? Because the power is in the secret sauce. We learn the principles. Honor God with your resources. If some of you don't or haven't started, my encouragement to you and invitation is that you would start. That you would give a portion of what you make at your job financially toward the work of God. Whether it's here at the church, which biblically speaking, it should be. You give to where God, where you're being blessed. If you're growing here, you give to that. With regularity, sacrificially, meaning it's not like, oh, sweet, I found five bucks. I'll give that to the church. It's not like, no, I worked my butt off for this. It's been a rough month, but God gave me this job, and I'm giving to the place where I'm being fed and where people are coming to know Jesus, and we want to reach people. And we, So that's what giving to the work of God looks like in local context. And we want to serve people. We Sunday morning, we called an uber for a brother who's got a smashed up finger and someone who i was going to have share announcements with me today jumped in and he's gone and he's that's where he is somewhere in an uber lost in bellingham getting somebody to urgent care because this is what it means to look out for the needs of others it's not sexy okay faithfulness is just normal anyone can do it we learn the principles but here's the key We need power. We need power. Here's where the power comes. I skipped over these verses on purpose because when you read them for the first time, it's like Jesus just like threw them in there for some reason that doesn't make sense, but they make sense when you understand in context of what we're talking about. Back up, or first of all, look at verse 45. He says, give, he says, serve, and then he uses himself And he says, for the son of man did not come to serve, did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. There is something that is sprinkled into the teachings of Jesus all throughout the New Testament. Sprinkled into the teachings of Jesus were reminders of who he was and what he was sent to do. Let me show you what I mean. Verses 32 through 34. Right before this leadership thing, Jesus says this, And as they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them, and they were amazed, and those who followed him were afraid. 
There was just a there was just something about Jesus that they were blown away. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was going to happen to him, saying, "See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death." And deliver him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him, and spit on him, and flog him, and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. This is not the first time Jesus has told us. There is new information in this statement. This was the first time that Jerusalem was ever mentioned as the place, according to Jesus, that he was going to be killed. So now they had a place. Actually, there's eight like specific things in there that Jesus says. They're going to Jerusalem, going to be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, condemn them to death, deliver him over to the Romans. They're going to mock him, spit on him, flog him, kill him. And after three days, he will rise. Very specific teaching about something he had said before, that he was going to die did not make sense. How can we be like you and serve like you and give like you if you die? But it was on purpose. They needed it constantly. And I'm telling you guys, it's got to be the same for us. He told them what was going to happen. He tells us what happened. He always said, this is what I'm here to do. Here's some teachings, here's some principles, but this is what I'm here to do, redeem mankind. And he says it to us. This is what I have for you. Will you exercise faith in this way? Will you give? Will you serve? I want you to, the father is being like, I want you to be like my son. Here's my son, hear him. But the power, what we need is transformation by Jesus, not just the things that we do. He told them what will happen. He tells us what has happened. See, the power isn't in the amount you give, but in the realization of how much you've been given. The power isn't in the position you have. It's the person you follow. Because like I said, no matter how much you give, Jesus gives more. No matter how much you serve, Jesus serves more. And the power that God wants you to experience in your life only comes with willingness and faith. Willingness to put into practice the principles that Jesus teaches and willingness by faith to receive how much he loves, how much he has given, how much he wants to give. And that's what it's like to live in the kingdom of God. You ever hear the kingdom of God? What is the kingdom of God? Like, where is it? It's here. And there are aspects of it that are not here yet. But the kingdom of God is alive and active and present in the life of any person who is under the rule of Jesus, who walks not in man's ways, but in God's ways, who thinks of greatness and leadership as not people to be over, but looking for ways to serve. Our willingness to do the things that we learn 
is a response to Jesus' willingness to come, to be turned over, to be flogged, to be spit on, to be rejected, to be brutally hung on a cross, to say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Our willingness to live is a response for Jesus' willingness to die on our behalf. That is what is called the good news or the gospel message. We need the constant and ever-present reminder that we are not what we do. We are what Jesus has done. And our greatest benefit is not what we can do. It's responding to what Jesus has done. The not-so-secret sauce is the constant reminder of who Jesus is and what he's done. I hope in your life you're reminded in small ways and in big ways that Jesus loves you. That he has great things in store for you. So much so that he was willing to be humiliated more than any person has ever been humiliated for you. And then willing to show power that no other person has ever been able to show by telling death, are you done now? And he comes back and he lives and he reigns. We can drink cups of suffering. We will have times of persecution. There will be hardship. We will be overwhelmed by things in life that we don't understand. But it's not on the level that Jesus has. We can be successful because Jesus is successful. This is the constant reminder. How much does God love you? He loves you so much he gave his one and only son that if you would believe in him, you would not perish but have eternal life because God didn't send his son into the world to judge the world but to save the world. The constant reminder of who Jesus is is that Jesus is great. Jesus is real. His teachings are true. His example is pure. His death was a sacrifice. His resurrection was legit. It was. Couldn't help myself. You need to be reminded that you are not what you have done. Did you know that your sins are forgiven? Not like forgiven the way we forgive people. You're like, yeah, I forgive you. Just don't do it again. That's That's forgiving and remembering the sin at the same time. Do you remember the time I forgave you for all that bad stuff you did to me? You just brought up all the bad stuff they did in the forgiveness. Jesus says there is no mentioning of the sin. It's put away. uh, I don't know if the right word is absolved, but it's taken away. As far as the east is from the west, there is no record. Why? Because love that Jesus has keeps no records of wrongs, but it celebrates in the truth. Your sins are forgiven. God isn't asking you for greatness. Give a lot of stuff. 
then you'll be great. Serve a lot of people, then you'll be great. This is what he's saying. Become like my son, because he is great. Here's our principles in the word of God. Practices that you can do that Jesus does to help us along this way. But they're not what makes us who we are. They simply help us to be more like Jesus. And they make room for God to breathe in life and power. So what we're going to do now is the worship team, you guys can come up. They're going to lead us in a song. As they lead us in this song, we're going to pass communion out. Uh, It's the first Sunday of the month we get to take communion together, which is awesome. And communion, you guys, is a way for us to take in metaphorical form. (laughs) I don't know what the term, but we're taking cracker and we're taking juice, which symbolizes Jesus's body, his life, all the things that he did and taught and showed us and we take his blood which was poured out upon the cross and he says that without blood there is no remission of sin so it's that Jesus' sacrifice on your behalf he's saying he drank his cup he does the heavy lifting I always think in in my mind it sounds really good Jesus does the heavy lifting he's just asking me to lift all I can It's like when I pick up something real heavy with one of my little boys. They're real strong now, so they can lift their weight. But before, when they're like, oh, and you're like, oh, yeah, you're doing it. Come on, lift. So the Lord does the heavy lifting. He's just asking us to lift as much as we can. So we're going to pass out communion, and then I'll come up. I'll pray over it, and we'll take it together. So let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your greatness, Jesus. Thank you that you teach us stuff like, like you are working in and through our lives in this world. doesn't matter if we are the new person hired at a new job who doesn't know what we are doing in that place. We are leaders in that place because we can look out for the interests of others. And greatness is found in those that, doesn't, that don't take but give. So regardless of how much stuff we have, we can show you honor. We can show you that we believe in you, that we trust in you by taking a portion of that and regularly and sacrificially and faithful saying, Jesus, I'm giving to you because you have given so much to me. I trust you. I believe you. This is is awesome stuff to learn, to be reminded of. But most importantly, Lord, thank you so much for reminding us that we are not, our identity is not in these things that we do, but that we do these things because of who you are. That's so good. We sing this song as a response to your goodness. In Jesus' name.